This is Reorient Network. Salam and welcome to another episode in our series on critical Muslim studies. We have with us today Professor Salman Said, with whom we shall be discussing issues pertaining to decoloniality. So, Professor Said, I wish to ask a question which has come up time and again. And in a nutshell, that question is why should Muslims care about decoloniality? It does not have a precedence in our history, and thus some would argue that it lacks the authenticity to be fully considered Islamicate, especially given its extra-Islamicate origins, so its origins outside of the Islamic. What would you respond? My response would be that this shows some of the major difficulties and challenges that we face. One of the biggest problems about living in an era of um, white supremacy has been the negation of agency of those who are considered to be subject to white rule. And that negation of agency means that we are no longer makers of history, simply consumers of other people's history. So when people say to me, oh, this has no precedent in our history, they're basically saying that we don't have no more any history and certainly no more any future. So take many of the things that we associate. For example, putting um, Allah Akbar on coins, Muslim coins. Now, Muslim coinage, there was no Muslim coinage. The first coins were basically Roman and um, Persian coins, which were just stamped. So at what point do we say that because there was no precedent for coins, we should not actually have coins. Or, for example, um, when the um, Ottoman armies took, captured Constantinople, they used cannons. We know that the Prophet never used cannons. So if we made the same argument, there's no precedent for the use of cannons, then Constantinople would not have fallen. Hmm. So this is the kind of, easier to see this in terms of the kind of um, technology arguments. But I would say it's a similar argument something similar happens conceptually as well. That, in a sense, what the Islamicate is, is not the reproduction and replication of what was in the past, but an engagement between the past and the future. So many things that we consider to be Islamicate, we would argue, for example, mathematics or um, philosophy, all of those things become Islamicate, not because they were always originally Islamic, but because they are working within particular networks in which they are inspired by Islam, but not reducible to Islam. Mm -hmm. So that would be a more general argument that I would think say, that it's actually completely ludicrous to simply say that because there's no um, category of the decolonial, it has nothing to say to us. There may not have been a category of the decolonial simply because the experiences and um, the challenges that Muslims faced were not the ones of dealing with a global imposition of white rule. And here I want to talk about white rule as being synonymous for racism, 
um, because I want to make the point that racism and colonialism were the same thing. They're just given two different names in two different places. Things that used to happen inside Europe were called racism, and racism as a, as a, as a concept first sort of emerged in the 1930s to describe the policies of the Nazis towards mainly the Jews, but also the Roma in Germany. Now, those policies in the 1930s were very similar to the policies carried out by the United States uh, against uh, African Americans uh, under Jim Crow, but they were very similar to the policies carried out by the British Empire in all of its imperial possessions, the Dutch empires, the Russian empires, the French empires. You could go to park benches where you would have native-only benches and European-only benches. You had clubs where only Europeans could be members of. So this kind of segregation, rules against uh, marriages, um, kind of um, informal restrictions on all kinds of pressures were already existing. But we call them colonialism because they happened outside Europe and we call them, they became to be known as racism inside Europe. So those were part of one system and I think it's important to understand that. Okay, so why have the decolonial? Well, I think what I would say is this, I think the decolonial is a, or decolonial thinking is an important and interesting interlocutor for Muslim thought. I don't think its experiences and what it describes can completely be applied to the Islamic hate because Islam has a very different relationship but there are points of convergence and points of divergence which may illuminate insights. So take, for example, one thing. Um, take the way that Granada in 1492 is central to decolonial thought, as you, you know, it is mainly emerges through the kind of Latin American experience. And the idea is, we're clear that the fall of Granada facilitates emotionally, conceptually, financially, the voyages of Columbus which allow the New World to be annexed and that annexation transforms the relations of global power between what then becomes the West and other centers of civilization like in China or Islam. Now, from Granada you can see a number of things. You can see in Granada as a metaphor for the subalternization of Muslims. You can see Granada as a metaphor for the beginning of a change from governance to governmentality. Up till that point, governments tended not to care what people thought too much. Um, there weren't, as long as you paid your taxes on time, you were more or less left alone. But with the conquest, the Spanish um, governments had a problem. How do we know that the Muslims and the Jews in the Iberian Peninsula are, no, are not working for their liberation, assistance from Muslims from outside the Iberian Peninsula. How can we police them? So that already creates a changing relationship between the states. So you would have people going around wash, uh, watching, are people bathing too much? If they are, they must be Muslims. Do they eat pork? If they don't eat pork, they could be Jews or Muslims. So there were all of this thing, the phenomenon of the crypto-Muslim or the crypto-Jew, uh, was driving a lot of this, and you can see the transformation into how we think of the modern state. But having said that, I think it's important to also note the differences. 
Um, for example, 1492 Granada falls, but 40 years before Constantinople is taken by the um, Ottomans. Um, so the experience of the Islamicate is not completely a subaltern experience. Um, Muslim rule over what constitutes Europe is a very real proposition and is a proposition of long-standing time. Therefore, that relationship between Europe and Islam is not um, patterned necessarily on other kinds of relationships that Europe has with other, um, you know, other cultures, other civilizations. Now, so I think there are these kind of unique points that need uh, to reflect upon. Okay, um, I just want to kind of poke out what you've said. So, from my understanding, the uh, decolonial theory first started in Latin America and with the Latinos and Chicanos in the US and Southern America. Would you say that there's a purchase in the development of something called Islamic decoloniality? I tend to be wary of this um, prefix Islamic to anything. Um, simply because, in my experience, it often doesn't really go far enough. And I remember having a conversation with some brothers and sisters many years ago who, with great enthusiasm, were telling me how they're going to set up a department of Islamic anthropology. And I said to them, why? And they didn't really have an answer to that question because uh, and the reason why they didn't have an answer, but for them, anthropology was simply a discipline of a, uni a university-level discipline rather than the fact that anthropology emerges at a particular point as a way of policing a frontier between what was considered to be civilized and what was considered to be primitive. So you can't just pretend that these disciplines exist in the abstract. So is there Islamic um, decoloniality? Well, my way of answering that would be say, I would think of critical Muslim studies as perhaps a dialogue with a decolonial in relation to the Islamic hate. Okay. Um, if so, again, just poking out what you've kind of said, you mentioned a split there between the civilized and the um, primitive. Primitive. How far do you think this split itself needs to be decolonized in specifically Islamic contexts? So, for example, uh, you have um, those who believe in hmm. so say if you so the civilized and the or primitive or civilized and the medieval, how far do you think those categories can inform us as to the categories of thought in Islam. So, for example, the traditional and the modern. You hear this a lot, traditionalist and modernist. How far do you think these categories themselves need to be decolonized? I think it depends on the, what you're trying to do. I mean, in general, the point about categories is that they are tools for thinking and mm -hmm. to help with thinking. And they don't have any particular purpose or any particular value except 
for the tool they're using. They're not necessarily, I mean, there could be some sort of aesthetic value to them, but it's like a hammer. Um, a hammer is useful for hammering nails. It's probably not useful for cutting wood. Mm. Um, and you can look at a hammer and you can sort of think about it and you can see maybe it's a contemplated aesthetic purposes, but really its value lies in the job that you want it to do. So my question would be really, what is the job that you're trying to do with using those tools? And the only caveat I would add is that these tools were made in a specific foundry, um, which is basically of you know, European um, modernity. And they may or may not be that useful for the things that you want to do because some of the assumptions or some of the material that goes into making them has very little relevance mm. outside that. So, for example, um, the category of religion. I don't think religion is a particularly useful way of talking about Islam or Judaism for that matter, or you know, even Hinduism. Yeah? But it becomes Islam becomes a religion, Hinduism becomes a religion, Judaism becomes a religion, more or less through the idea of these 14 world religions, which is something in the 19th century historiography which really takes hold and was organized and you know, has certain roots in the 18th century a little bit. But that's the organization. So you basically have 14 religions, 14 world religions. Um, and they then are organized on a pattern of something. Now the point is this, that the idea of religion is so inflected with an enlightenment reading of a particular variant of Christianity that you're constantly having to run against the edges and uh, of any other uh, way of life that you have to say it's a religion. So in the case of Islam, you have to keep on saying it's a religion, but it mixes politics and religion. Like, you know. Mm -hmm. And therefore, when you talk about Islam as a religion, a number of things start following from that, which I think are probably not particularly helpful or useful for Muslims. Mm -hmm. So my question to you about the categories of whether they can be applied or not is see if they can. Be aware that they may not be. Don't just apply them or use them just because that's the way the things are done. Because I mean, you have to think, what is the purpose of doing that now? Mm -hmm. Okay, Professor Said, thank you very much.